Hi, and welcome to the Beyond Waste podcast, a podcast designed to help you understand the systematic impacts of waste and what you can do about it. My name is Chelsea, and I'll be your host. In episode one, we discussed the zero waste movement in the time of COVID, and you heard from fellow staff members Young, Ramiro, Bay, and two students from the Student Mutual Aid Network. This is week two, and we have staff members Yushin and Alex, who have a hot take on Earth Day and how you can celebrate at home. If you have any questions about the concepts discussed today, please reach out to us at info at postlandfill.org and visit our website, postlandfill.org. But first, a word from our most loved coworkers. So this is our Earth Day episode of the podcast brought to you in quarantine. My name is Alex Freed. I'm the founder and co-director of the Post Landfill Action Network. Uh, my name's Yushen, and I just joined PLAN in July of 2019, and I graduated from UC Berkeley, and now I am one of the co-directors of Atlas Zero Waste Strategy. And we're going to talk a little bit about Earth Day and challenges with Earth Day. For this Earth Day, Plan sort of decided that we weren't going to host our own big celebration or anything like that. We already have a lot of partners that are doing some really cool things. Um, so instead of hosting our own event, we decided to uplift a lot of our partners' events instead. So the only things that we did do was write a blog post about it that you can find on our website. And we decided to release this podcast, which essentially takes the blog and digs a little bit more deeply into some of the topics that we mentioned. So Yushen, do you want to share with us some of the stuff that you found when you were looking into the history of Earth Day? Okay. So when I was reading about Earth Day, I learned that it was, you know, started in 1970 by this senator named Nelson Gaylord, I believe. So he had seen or he had witnessed the destruction of an oil spill off of the coast of Santa Barbara. And I guess that awakened him to, you know, environmental destruction and pollution. like the things that industry does to our planet. So in an attempt to get uh, environmental like legislation on the national agenda, he <clears throat> decided that now was a great time to channel the anti-war energy of like mainly college students that were, you know, protesting against the Vietnam War during that time and redirecting all that energy towards like environmental protests and environmental um, activism. So in tandem with a 25-year-old graduate, which is cool because it's like, look, this person was only 25 and they were able to achieve like such an incredible movement. Um, this 25-year-old, uh, his name was Dennis. He like managed to gather like 80 some other representatives across the country and coordinate a national effort for like protests and teach-ins um, and other like action-based whatevers for Earth Day. And so Ultimately, the number of people that this coordination effort gathered amounted to 10% of the U.S. population, which I just thought, like, that was staggering. I was like, what percentage of the U.S. population even votes every year? <laughs> like, 10% like marching and getting involved somehow for Earth Day was like pretty impressive to me. Um, and so that was also why I found it interesting to connect that to Erica Chenoweth's research on the success rate of social movements 
basically her analysis of both violent and nonviolent um, like campaigns and protest across the world from between like the 90s and like 2006. Um, interestingly showed that as soon as you engaged 3.5% like minimum of the total population, <clears throat> they were essentially like bound for success. There was like no failing after that, which I thought was so interesting that there's this like magic cusp essentially. Like if you can get enough people involved, you end up with like a so-called successful movement that actually affects like policy change or like regime change. I, I think like, you know, the history, I personally am, am really fascinated by the history of movements in general, mm -hmm. but the history of Earth Day, like, I think that's its best value. Is it's, it's a historical moment, right? In which um, there was a clear like pivot in public opinion. Um, you know, there are those kind of famous things like the oil spill in Santa Barbara mm -hmm. and the Cuyahoga River in Ohio catching on fire. Mm -hmm. And those led to these major, you know, changes in U.S. policy, the development of the Environmental Protection Agency and the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act and um, the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which manages landfills, which was passed mm -hmm. in 1976, but it was all part of that same trend of a movement. Um, and then I think it's, you know, there's this great question that we have today. It's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Does Earth Day mean much anymore? And I think for a lot of us, it's kind of frustrating because it feels like it, it's been very watered down. It's not, you know, Earth Day celebrations are not a celebration of the history of the movement. They're, we'll get into this, but, you know, they're, they're much less than that. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's not much acknowledgement of the fact that that was a movement it's not just like you know go out and do a beach cleanup kind of a thing mm -hmm. it's like those were major instrumental changes that affected everyone's lives in serious ways mm -hmm. and that was the power of earth day was it was a, a massive showing um of people demanding action mm -hmm. um you know we don't Earth Day is not, um, it's not the people's climate movement. It's not demands for a Green New Deal, right? It's not um, major significant policy shifts today, the way that it was yeah, in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like out of curiosity, like when Earth Day rolls around for you every year, like what are the thoughts that go through your head? Like, because I don't know, at this point and like for a while, for me, I'm like, like why why like today of all days should we like try a little harder to like do our part for the environment like and especially for like you and for me where like the things that we do on a daily basis are like we're trying to make the earth a better place on a regular basis so I'm just like kind of curious like what it feels like for you I think for me Earth Day falls into the same camp as a series of other days that to be honest, feel somewhat useless at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd put Earth Day in the same camp as America Recycles Day, which is November 15th, and a whole bunch of other random, less celebrated or lesser known days like World Oceans Day or World Whale Day. And honestly, there's dozens <laughs> more um, that, you know, they, they kind of, I think they, they carry two purposes in 
in present society. So like one is an opportunity for teachers to be inspired to do a lesson plan. Um, and I think that there's, there's value in acknowledging that, you know, a lot of us probably first learned about environmental issues during an Earth Day or America Recycles Day in elementary school. Um, and then the other is that, that it's just a massive opportunity for corporations to greenwash. And I think that's the biggest question that we have to face right now is, should we be addressing the fact that by celebrating Earth Day and allowing the types of celebrations that currently happen on Earth Day to happen, that in many ways we're perpetuating a system of corporations putting money into marketing to pretend to be environmentally responsible mm -hmm. while behind the scenes they are continuing business as usual practices of um, you know, extracting resources and disposing of resources and exploiting workers in a very unjust and unsustainable way. Mm -hmm. There's like definitely a link to be drawn on the way that like campaigns such as Keep America Beautiful um, use this like marketing tactic that like very much targets individual action and the need for individual action. And that is very like almost um, reflected in the way that Earth Day is also like, you know, do an individual action. Like I, you know, in part of the blog, I was like, just, you know, just try Googling this, like Google Earth Day tips and like see what you're going to come up with. And it's like today, like take a five minute shower instead of your usual 15 minute shower. It's like little things like that where you almost like laugh, like looking at them because like that is not going to make a difference in terms of like the actual issues that are at hand yeah um, it's feel good do this one thing yeah. today and you'll feel good mm -hmm. totally um, um yeah we you know maybe in november we'll have a special edition on america recycles day but america recycles day which is i think the one other day that carries as much weight in many ways as um earth day is entirely created by Keep America Beautiful. It is not a national day. It is a day created by a nonprofit that serves as a shell for corporate marketing. And, you know, there's so much for us to say about the issues with Keep America Beautiful over the years um, and their role in uh, fighting efforts to hold corporations accountable like the bottle bill mm -hmm. um, in order to push that message of individual responsibility as opposed to corporate responsibility and right. to put a lot of money and in marketing into this message that, you know, the environmental issues are your responsibility to solve, not the corporations who've created this problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I feel like even though we do emphasize that like we we can't fight these or we can't solve these problems with individual action and that oftentimes still like it almost makes people feel like well like how can i even help right so yeah there are perhaps like some ways like you've already pointed out that like earth day in elementary schools is like a great way to expose kids to environmental issues for the first time and like maybe one of the first things that they do is something as silly as like I don't know, like 
collect tin cans for recycling, which is like totally not the solution we're pointing for, but it's like the first, the first action, like the first taste. And Mm -hmm. from there, once you have that introduction and like, once you like dip your toe in the water, then you can like really dig into the more like systemic issues behind all of this and actually figure out ways to like intervene in that current system. Um, So I think this is a great time to like start talking about some of the personal actions that we can take that are actually part of collective action towards intervening in a system. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about the points of intervention theory? Yeah, it's a great segue. So um, the points of intervention theory is a theory that Plan got from a book called Beautiful Trouble. And Beautiful Trouble is a series of Um, movement theories and actions and tactics that organizers and individuals can take um, to create change. And one of the theories that they highlight is this idea that um, a lot of times when we as activists are looking to tackle a problem, we hone in on that particular problem and we don't necessarily look at that problem within the larger system. And like the fact that in many cases, the problem that we're looking to solve is what we would call like an externality or a negative mm-hmm. externality of a larger system as a whole. So as an example, you know, we are coming to this work from the perspective of waste and waste reduction. Waste generation is the byproduct of the linear consumption economy. And the linear consumption economy is the system that you know, creates these negative externalities, these problems. Um, the linear consumption economy starts with extraction, right? We extract resources to make consumer goods um, or to to fuel consumer good production. Um, you know, the the both the creation of the product and also the energy that goes into making, extracting, transporting, mm-hmm. shipping the product. Um, and the system is extraction, production, distribution, consumption, and then disposal. And everything in our society kind of goes through those five steps, often very fast. We consume goods very quickly, sometimes longer. Um, But in almost all cases, this system is linear as opposed to circular. And we go back to square one, back to extraction, to start over, um, to create a new resource. And the idea of the points of intervention theory applied to the linear consumption economy is to essentially recognize that no one can do everything to fix that system, but everyone can do something. It's kind of our responsibility to identify where we can intervene um, in this system. So, you know, thinking about the intersection of your passion and your skill set um, to look at the whole system and kind of see where your interests lie and where you best fit. So, I think in many cases, in environmental movements there's a lot of I guess I'll say like unnecessary competition around like what is the most green thing to do Mm. and you know you have folks that are fighting extraction and you have folks that are um, fighting disposal and you have people that are um, you know running organic farms and you have people that are creating new compostable products and the list goes on and on and i think the idea is to essentially say um we need all of those things 
simultaneously. Mm -hmm. and we need everyone doing their part, but it's not necessarily our job to say, take a shorter shower, or you have to come to this protest if you really care. Mm -hmm. um, but it's our job to say, you know, the system is broken and we need everyone doing their part to figure out what they can be doing to best utilize their passion and their skill set to peel back the layers of this broken system. Exactly. Yeah, I think it like really speaks to especially the feelings of just like peers that are like in this generation, like a lot of people that I talk to experience sort of like pretty like crippling climate anxiety and just like um, environmental anxiety in general, thinking about how <clears throat> how large and insurmountable the problem is. But I think you put it really well on that. Yeah, there is not necessarily a best place to be intervening. But like, as long as you can choose a place where you can put what you're good at and what you care about um, towards like this one pressure point, the idea is that like together, we all need to be working together to be able to like topple that system. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that like is a really great way of framing <clears throat> how we can each plug in in a way that doesn't feel paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that paralyzing point is super real, right? Like we see that with students that we work with all the time that, you know, they're, they're at a point in their lives where they are learning just, you know, just being bombarded with messages about how screwed up everything is. Mm -hmm. And it gets to a point where you're like, I don't know what to buy. I don't know what not to buy. I don't know, like, if it's okay for me to use this laptop or my phone mm -hmm. or to eat meat or to do this or to do that. Um, you know, I don't know what I should do with my life. I don't know what I should do for a job or a career. I don't know if I should live off the grid. I don't know, like all of these, <laughs> you get really like insular. Totally um, had moments like that. Yeah, yeah, we've all done. We've all had those moments. And I think it's, you know, the idea is to say that we also have to live our lives and be comfortable and enjoy life. Um, the hope is that we can inspire folks to think about everything within the context of intervention points. Mm -hmm. Where are the weak points of the system that you are most excited about working towards changing? And how can you do that work when you're like okay with yourself? Mm, like accepting? Uh, yeah, like, ex yeah, thank you. So like, you know, how do you do that work? How do you identify your intervention point while also accepting, you know, being willing to be kind to yourself and accepting that like, that is enough. Mm -hmm. You know, no <clears throat> one is ever going to be able to do you know, technically enough yeah. to fix this problem. So we all have to balance happiness and comfort with the work that is needed to fix the system. Yeah, and like we often say, like, in order to even make the movement sustainable, you have to practice like self-sustainability, right? Like yeah. you need to, you do need to still like put yourself first in a lot of ways, like because you are literally like the engine behind the movement and that's you know that's hard right now right in these moments where we're all like kind of dealing with increased anxiety and being stuck at home and mm -hmm. facing unemployment and lost health care and loved ones who are sick you know we have to figure out how to be kind to ourselves and not hold ourselves to these 
unrealistic standards. And it's okay to have a guilty pleasure. You know, it's okay to eat meat or take a long shower. Or drive big trucks in today's <laughs> case. <laughs> I think honestly, like that's where I think the Earth Day messaging can be damaging. That mm. it's around this idea that, you know, these individual actions are somehow the be all end all of solving environmental problems. Yeah, absolutely. So then, <clears throat> and I feel like we have already spoken to this, but like, if the goal or if the original goal of Earth Day was collective action, is there value in trying to like redirect our attentions and like remember to pursue that and just sort of like rebrand the messaging around Earth Day? Or is that just like something that we should be working towards on a daily basis? Like we don't need Earth Day to be framing and guiding our actions. We said this at the beginning, the problem with Earth Day is that the message has been hijacked by the corporations. And that message mm. has brought us back to this idea that the solutions lie in individual actions. And the solution lies in collective action, even if we are seeing that collective action as all of us doing things that are part of a bigger systemic shift. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that we as an organization, Plans Work, is focused on attempting to shift systems on college campuses. So, you know, there shouldn't necessarily have to be the expectation that you're going to bring your own reusable container with you to the dining hall. Like the dining hall should have dishwashers and reusable dishes and reusable mm -hmm. to go containers. And it should be standard practice that like facilities like college campuses work towards eliminating disposable culture. The work that we want to inspire students to do is to like change that on their campus, to be like advocating towards that change. Um, but that change can also happen in lots of other ways. At the policy level, things like the Green New Deal. Yeah, and I'm just like thinking about like how, <clears throat> if you like even zoom out and really look at like even our work, we're just working with like a very, very small, piece of society in general like we've chosen to narrow our focus and like in a weird sort of way that like is kind of a point of intervention in itself I don't know if you could argue it like that it's like in terms of the whole like you know inspiring student leaders and like equipping them with the tools like points of production for example right like we're trying to like innovate new systems and things like that um yeah and like trial them and like pilot them on campuses with the hopes that one day that these serves as great examples for things that can be expanded towards greater society. When we when we did the points of intervention tour a couple of years ago, one of the projects that we did around that was mm -hmm. coming up with ways that we can help students identify their intervention point. Mm -hmm. And we started to come up with kind of simple words. So, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, um, resist. And we were really surprised. This is like totally uh, not planned that pretty much every word that we came up with, uh, we came up with like 50 words, all started with the letter R. Um, and some of them were a stretch, like we had rot for composting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I heard that one though. Yeah. But like, you know, 
regulations is an intervention mm. point, right? Regulations on corporations. Um, and there were, I, I don't have the list in front of me, but the idea was that, you know, the list of intervention points is pretty endless. There's mm -hmm. lots and lots and lots of ways that you can intervene if you really think about the breadth of the linear consumption economy and the ways in which a linear consumption economy affects all of our lives. There are so many ways that you can intervene in small and large ways. Um, and I think that one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, there are many people out there who are best suited for certain intervention points, right? Mm -hmm. There are lawyers and doctors and engineers and activists and organizers and farmers and, you know, the list goes on and on and everybody can be involved in intervening in their own way. Yeah. And whether it's like through your career or whether it's just like, as just like a daily lifestyle or like a hobby, like some of the things that I had <clears throat> kind of just like thrown out in the blog post were less like career focused, but more just yeah. like community focused. There are a lot of benefits that can come from making like a small change, like maybe growing some herbs in your garden or whatever. But the last thing that I did mention that we should touch on is like somehow touching on the accessibility part, even though we talk about accessibility issues, but like for like a kid or whatever, they want to get involved, like maybe their first taste is Earth Day and like not feeling this like climate anxiety and like decision paralysis. Um, whereas like with Earth Day, you get offered like small things like help us like with this beach cleanup today. And you're like, yeah, that's easy. That's like one day. Yeah. But it is a way to kind of like get your foot in the door and then kind of like positions you to be able to get deeper into like the systemic changes that like these movements are working towards. As sad as it is, you've made it through the second episode of the Beyond Waste podcast. We at Plan believe that while nobody can do everything, everybody can do something. And this is just one small thing that we are doing for our community during this time. If you've liked what you've heard, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, review, and send this to all of your friends. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe. To learn more about PLAN, visit www.postlandfill.org or send us an email at info at postlandfill.org.